welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast where we subject ourselves to every Marvel Cinematic Universe film, one movie at a time, until we reach the blatant grab for cash that is Avengers Infinity War mid-next year. I'm Christoph, and I'm going to be the host for this week uh, as we look at Iron Man. As always, I'm going to be joined by my co-host, Billy. Hello. How you going, Billy? I'm good. Yeah, you are so grumpy. Clearly, clearly, you're more enthusiastic about this than Yes, I am. of course I am. You are the combination of Statler and Waldorf. Except I don't have someone's hand up my butt most of the time. Most of the time? Most of the time? So what about that other time... Look, well, that's, do, that's a different podcast. What I do on the weekend is my business, yeah, Billy. Yeah, I mean, if, for our Australian listeners, if you could compare us, Christoph and I are like the Margaret of the, and David of, I guess, of the podcast. Of Marvel movies. Yeah, Christoph is the David, the grumpy one, and I am the Margaret, the flamboyant one, who wears overly <laughs> large earrings. I don't wear earrings. Um, thank you for clarifying that. Yes. I guess it's not a visual medium. Look, I think saying I'm grumpy might be an oversimplification. Look, as I said in episode zero, I have a complicated relationship with these films. I They annoy me to no end, and I'm very much over them, but at the same time, I see each new Marvel film opening night, so... Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is, we're both of a comic book background. I mean, I read more Marvel than you. Yeah, but you, sure. But I also read pretty much on par with you, the amount of independent stuff as well. I'd say so, yeah. We definitely both read a lot of Image and smaller publishers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, we both have some exposure to Marvel, and I think that's definitely going to temper the way we look at these films. Yeah. Well, shall we get into it, Billy? Yes. All right, like I said, we're going to be looking at 2008's Iron Man. Mr. Stark, you've been called the Da Vinci of our time. What do you say to that? Absolutely ridiculous. I don't paint. What do you say to your other nickname, the Merchant of Death? That's not bad. They say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I prefer the weapon you only need to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. To peace. Is it cool if I take a picture with you? Yes, it's very cool. I don't want to see this on your MySpace page. Please, no gang signs. No, throw it up, I'm kidding. assemble my missile. I should be dead already. Unless it was for a reason. I just finally know what I have to do. That doesn't look like a missile. What are you building, Stark? I'm working on something big. So Iron Man came out in 2008 and it essentially launched what is the Colossus Entertainment sort of machine that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because I also remember Kevin Feige saying... Is it Feige? How do you say his last name? Feige, Feige... His Beige, whole, don't yeah, add us. I think their whole thing was to create a movie first, then universe. I, I, and this is a cynic coming out in me, which will happen regularly. I think they actually did do that. Like, I figured they they did, they tested the waters with Iron Man. I, and it, 
I mean, it was a blatant attempt to how can we monetize the properties we haven't sold off? Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, that's kind of. I, I think more or less that was the idea, right? Because Iron Man wasn't a huge. We won't get into heaps now, but he wasn't like a huge household name like he is now before this film. No, and we'll get into that later on. Um, so the film came out in 2008. It was directed by John Fravaux. Yeah. Fravaux, is that how you say it? Um, and it starred Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Terrence Howard, uh, Jeff and Jeff Bridges are probably the biggest names. And for a cape film, I mean, now we regularly have sort of all-star casts on these films, but at the time it felt big. Yeah, it did. Um, at the time, I think also, um, that was like the the past five years was sort of like um, Robert Downey Jr.'s like rise again, like sort of he cleaned he cleaned himself out, picked himself out of the shit and was starting, to, like he was in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a great film of mine. Um, he wasn't in the Sherlock films yet, but he was in, um, the one set in San Francisco about the, um, Zodiac. He was in Zodiac. Okay. Before Iron Man. It's interesting how his career, and I wonder if this was deliberate or how they sort of picked this, but his career kind of followed the Tony Stark thing of the prodigal son returns. Yeah. Back to, back to notoriety and fame. And this was his actual first a blockbuster film. Because all the other ones weren't really Kiss big Kiss, blockbusters. Yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang wasn't huge, was no. it? And that and was ne- three neither, years earlier? Yeah, and neither was Zodiac. And of course, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was directed by Shane Black, who would go on to direct Iron Man 3. three. Uh, so, at the time, Iron Man got 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, given how burnt out critics are on these films now, that feels like a big deal to me. Yeah. 94%. And its box office growth was over five hundred million. Yeah, and that's after um, that's like the, it, that's end like of the a year. year. Yeah, I think that's like a year later. Which, again, considering that I, people weren't super familiar with his character, I think in a lot of ways those box office numbers and that uh, that Rotten Tomatoes score is really pulling off just the strength of the film. Yeah, I mean, we'll get get we'll go further into that um, about Iron Man further down in our context discussion, but. Yeah, um, it was a bit crazy. Like, I mean, I wasn't a huge Iron Man fan. Was anyone? I was to some extent, but I was like, what happened? I only read Iron Man because um, some friends of mine. So that was the thing. We I would collect like you know the X Men stuff and Spider Man. My mate would read Avengers stuff. Another mate of mine would read Iron Man, and we like not swap, but we'd borrow each other's comics like, for a few them. months. Yeah. And then, like, we'd get them back. Um, so I only read Iron Man every now and again. Interesting. A question I wanted to ask you before we sort of dive into our thoughts on the film is mm. I really wanted to know, coming into this film, were you excited for it? Were you anticipating it? Was it? Did you see it in the cinema? I was, yeah, yeah. I, I was working at a cinema at the time. Um, so I was very excited Ooh, for it. big shot. No need yeah, to brag. Yeah, I know. Uh, but, it's, you know, because it was the comic book nerd. Oh, man, it's Iron Man. But, um, yeah, no, I was excited for it because it was the first... I don't... Because back in the day, like... I think prior to this, the some of the... Because Marvel has been making films for a while. Mm. I mean, I think Blade was their first... Was that Marvel Studios? Cause Marvel yeah, it pro- was. Really? Yeah, it was no Marvel... Way. Blade was part no, of Marvel Studios. No fucking way. Yeah, I know. Got to earn hey, that explicit rating. Yeah, yes. <laughs> hey, Blade is amazing. I am waiting for Blade... The Blade movies to be part of the MCU. Um, 
it's okay. In, interesting, because for me it was the exact opposite experience. I like at that point I'm fairly new to comics. Mm. Uh, don't at me. Um, I didn't get into comics till about 2008, uh, 2009. I sorry, am older than Christoph. Just, just a little bit. Yeah. Try not to die while we do the podcast, Billy. Fuck you. <laughs> um, so I didn't know anything about this film going in, and I remember sort of feeling on that first viewing, thinking it was okay. It didn't really resonate me, with me. I knew nothing about it beforehand. Mm. I sort of was like, okay. See, I, I went into it thinking, I went into it being excited because, I, I mean, I'd liked Robert Downey Jr. and other stuff he'd been in when, when I, that I watched as younger, but I really liked him in Zodiac and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss he's, Kiss Bang Bang is one of my favourite films. He's very good in that film. I think the role's just perfect for him. That sort of roguish charisma yeah. he has is perfect. And so I was excited for his take on it, um, but I was also slightly wary thinking... You know, because there's been other films that have been made in the past and been like, oh, kind of crap, maybe. Yeah, and something that's interesting, it's definitely interesting, and we'll get into this a little bit later, looking at Iron Man in comparison to the other superhero flicks that had sort of come out within a similar time frame. But before we do that, let's jump into our thoughts on the film. And mm-hmm. for those listening, just so you know, these aren't sort of our, these are thoughts are specific to how we found this particular viewing because yeah. I mean for me it's probably been three or four years since I've watched Iron Man what about you Billy? Yeah maybe about two years two three okay. years well what what are your first impressions going back into it how did you feel about it? Um, it doesn't it's not that it feels dated it doesn't feel dated I'm gonna I'll let you speak but I I'm gonna disagree with you on that one okay story wise it doesn't feel dated yeah fair point uh, cinematography wise I think Yes, a little bit. Some of those slide transitions yeah. stuck out to me for some reason. But I think that's the whole, like, you know, of the time, 10 years down the track now, mm. stuff has changed. I mean, special effects has changed and everything. I mean, even between Iron Man 1 and 2 and 3, the effects have changed constantly. Uh, well, that begs a question. Did the film feel 10 years old to you? It felt five years old, not ten yeah. years old. I, you know what? I would actually but definitely I still, agree. I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I. You know what? I think I enjoyed it as well. I think, I think my memory of the film was possibly better than the, the film. If we're talking about our order of preference for the Iron Man films, yes, I am one, three, two. Wow. Okay, I'm one. I'm one, two. Uh, you know what? I'm probably two, one, three. I really... We'll get into this in Iron Man 3, but that movie has a very interesting place in my life, uh, which we'll get into during okay. that episode. But yeah, I am like 132. Okay. I Look, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the film. I think... I think what felt dated were some of the effects, particularly yeah. not so much the Iron Man suit itself, but when, like, the scenes where it's the robots putting the suit on him. Yeah. The contrast between real life and the suit felt, looked dated, and just a little bit too CGI-y. Yeah, and I feel that's also part of the, like, you know, this is the... I mean, how much was spent on it, the budget? I think, I think the, $158 million, right? Yeah, and comparing, I mean, we... Some, some live Googling now. Um, <laughs> That's pretty, what you want in a podcast, right? People yeah, checking Google. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like most of the other films in the series started getting bigger and bigger budgets. Well, I could be wrong, but my understanding is for a blockbuster, your your budget is starting at around two fifty million, so one fifty eight isn't huge. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but that was my understanding. Um, okay. Look to go to sort of return back to my first thoughts. I agree with you, Billy. I think it's a 
I think it's still a decent film. For me, what stood out was the writing, which was solid. Yeah. You know, functionally, it's it's a it's a solid film. Everyone gets a, you know gets their moment. The progression of him building the suit feels earned, mm-hmm. both in that first scene where he's working with Jensen in the cave to build it, and then yeah. later on when he's back in trying to improve it in his um in his home uh, basement workshop area. If it, it you feel like it takes him a while to get to this. Iron Man design, and I love the constant, the constant sort of tinkering and improving the uh, the suit, which starts in this film and, and really carries out to all the all the films with Iron Man. He's always working on the suit, but yeah, it, it's it's solid. Yeah, back to uh, my uh, comparison, um, Avengers got a budget of two hundred and twenty million. There we go. So there's you know, and even and I don't fifty think... million. I feel like it's, I feel like maybe it's possible that like. First film, they wanted to be wary. Because, I mean, there is that whole... Like, I'm not comparing it to a TV show, but you've you've watched Buffy? I've seen bits. Okay, you've seen how, like, some TV, when it's dark, a dark scene, it's really dark on a TV. Like, you have to turn mm. the contrast... Contrast. Contrast? Re- contrast. I'm not going to let you the, back out. Uh, the contrast really high up to see certain things. Yeah. I felt a little bit like that in some parts of... Iron Man, like that's it's... a really great point, and I'm pretty sure one of the reasons I didn't enjoy that first viewing was because we were watching it on a small TV in low light in a mate's house, yeah. And the version of the film, let's just say, was less than legitimate. So those dark scenes, which is like the first quarter of the film, did not play well. Okay, we'll see. I watched it the cinema. Uh, that's probably why you enjoyed it more than I, the one thing I did like, and I'll go into this in the context sort of thing as well because we want to talk about the production for this film yeah of course um, because I had people that have not watched not read comics go and watch this film and enjoy it I felt like it was a very um, anyone could go watch this film and enjoy it it's a solid action film yeah for yeah. sure like I had people like thinking it was going to be crap because it's, uh, it's a comic book film and they actually enjoyed it um, and I, I think, and maybe we'll transition into context at this point, because I think it's a, go- a great uh, bridge, but I think one of the reasons why it appeals to people who don't necessarily like comics is because it wasn't... His powers are technologically based, so mm. it's... Sure, the suit you know could never really exist in real life, but it's not someone with powers, it's not super outlandish, it's semi-believable. Yep. I mean, what, is the, what are the thrusters on his feet, if not like a really cool jetpack? They're repulsive thrusters. Sorry. Oh, Thank God. You. Sorry, comic police, Billy. Yes, um, anyway. And the other thing is that it, the people here here, here fighting for most part of the film aren't like supervillains with weird powers. It's it's terrorists, right? Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, um, you know, it's the... Con- like, okay, so in the... We don't really want to get... Well, we were going to talk about this in the pickup section. Let's just jump into it now. Um, but I was going to bring up that, like, I mean... His whole, his whole, no, no, his whole origin is that, you know, he gets cap. He's, uh, he's essentially a warmonger. He sells war, war machines and and weapons, weapons, mass destruction and stuff like that. Now, in the original, like in various comic book origins, he's kidnapped on a business trip or something, and they want him to, you know, create weapons for them type thing. And that happens here. It just at the time, terrorists were the, you know, particular arms people that wanted to you know 
I mean, back in the day, I think it was... Was it Viet- Was it something to do with the Vietnam War? Or I think at times it's been the Vietnam War. I think at times it's been... Because various times they've done a redone... A re- yeah, a like re- a soft reboot. A soft reboot. Other times it's been um, the, the Russians... Like that, like, like, so whoever America's sort of main enemy is at the time, at the time, yeah, interesting. Um, so it's always been that's he's been in his like origin, kidnapped by either terrorists or some sort interesting. of foreign power. Because uh, we've got to remember that 2008 was only seven years after 9 11, and like you pointed out to me, is Obama had sort of came into power into power won the presidency that year so yeah. before then we had George Bush in his war on terror and that was a very different time yeah and essentially like you know it's kind of Afghanistani. now correct me if I'm wrong Billy but I don't think they ever mention the location no. he's in but it's clearly Afghanistan yeah like it's meant to be like some sort of Afghanistan like... area um the th- the other thing is Marvel stuff has always been in the real world. I'm not comparing, like... But the Marvel bases mm. everything. Like, they don't have, like... I mean, they do have some fake cities. But most for the most part, it's mostly, like, New York. You know, Ameri- like America, Australia, England type thing. It's yes. very... A lot of real locations. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a great uh, point. Whereas, yeah, DC has Metropolis and Gotham, which are really both two different versions of New York. Yeah. Marvel just has New York. Yeah. Um, something else uh, that I wanted to point out that I've completely forgotten. Okay, well, I'll talk about the, <laughs> I'll talk about how long it could took us to get to. Uh, yeah, do you want to? Because this movie was in sort of in production for ages. Yeah. yeah okay. So back in the day, Marvel sold off all their rights because what a time to, get, it was. To, to get them out of the red because they were in bankruptcy, and that was early two thousands. Yeah, um, I think even before that. Okay, maybe 90s from all those gosh dang variant covers yes. and like uh, weird like collector promotional shit they were doing. Exactly. But um, so Iron Man came out in 2008, as we've mentioned. But it's been like in development since 1990. So like in April, um, Universal Studio bought the rights to develop Iron Man. Um, and it was like direct a low budget film. Um, by 1996, century, 20th Century Foxes had acquired it from had acquired it from Universal, and then like 97, Nicolas Cage was keen to play uh, Tony Stark. What a different film! That um, would be. And then like later in 98, Tom Cruise wanted to be oh, Tony God. Stark, um, and then a story was written for Fox in which Modok was the villain. Which was kind of cool because but you know it's a tech he would, villain. He would never work on screen. No, though. I mean, but back in the day, the nineties, which is like it was a different time. Yeah, it was really shit. Like you just have to look at the the original Fantastic Four film, not the one with um, Captain America. You know? <laughs> the, you know the one I'm talking. Yeah, yeah about. Chris Evans. That was early two thousands, I think. Yeah, there was one way back, and it was really bad. Um, but then. Um, like, in 99, it was someone else doing a script. Um, Quentin Tarantino was asked to write a script. He's, uh, he's been attached to everything at this point, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah, um, and then New Line Cinema had it. And, like, New Line Cinema had it for a while, and then, like, they had possibly, like, in 2001 they were going to do it, and then 2006. And then by the end of 2006... 
Um, like, no, they were going to do a 2006 release of Iron Man. And so what happened was they then sold it back to Marvel in 2005. And that's when they started production on yes, the film, correct? Yes, Marvel started from scratch. And Yeah, and that's when they approached John Favreau for a April 2006 release. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It, with that in mind, it almost is sort of a miracle that this film happened at all. Yeah. I mean, it was stuck in production limbo. Yeah, and the, the one reason Favreau was approached is because he was involved with uh, Avi Arad, who is one of the producers of... Um, most of the Marvel films. Okay. Um, they were involved on working on Daredevil. The original movie. movie. Yeah, the movie. So John really? Favreau was... Well, well, John John. Favreau, well, John Favreau was in that. As an actor? Yeah, as an actor. Oh. He was playing Hobby. It was, is it Hobby? Or no? You know what? I haven't seen the Ben Affleck Daredevil. No, 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 but I don't no, plan who, to. Who's the... Is it, no, Foggy. He was playing Foggy. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I could kind of see that. Yeah. And so, yeah, and then that's... It, like, it's taken a long time. And the other thing is they had to do focus groups because everyone just assumed Iron Man was, like, a robot. And that original sort of, like... What is it? Like, the 70s, maybe even up to the 90s design of him is very... Like, he looks like Robotic. a robot. Like, yeah. even, like, you know, his mouth is, like... It, it, does, it has a hole where it looks to be a mouth, but it very much looks like... But yeah, yeah, it, lo- it definitely looks like a robot, and I think that's a really clever thing they did in this film. Is the design is just so sleek, and it definitely looks like a, a man. A man is in there rather than just a, a high tech robot. And so Favreau picked Robbie Downey Jr. because apparently, essentially, like um, I believe when he was filming um, the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, yes, it was the offices for it were near John Favreau, and they also like I mean they thought about because of the sex success of X-Men and Spider-Man having new stars was at the Hugh time. Ja- was Hugh Jackman new to the... Actually, yeah, I think it, it, Wolverine yeah. was a pretty breakout role yeah, for him. Yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, Favreau chose Danny Jr. because, like, the actor's past, all his drug and alcohol and all that stuff has been in the public eye, which is kind of like Tony Stark. Yeah, we mentioned that before. There's a, It's interesting that that mirroring is, in fact, deliberate. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why they picked him. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, look, I think that's enough context. Why don't we dive in uh, to a segment called Pickups? Yes, where we talk about various things that stood out from the film, our Stan watch. That's right, we're going to talk about the uh, dreaded Stanley cameo that now has to be in each of these damn films. Yes. Uh, The comic book influences on the film, um, some of the movie influences from the movie onto the comics, and the importance and standing in the MCU of the film. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back for pickups. All right, so now we're going to jump into pickups, which is where we look at things that uh, stood out to us on this particular watching of the film. We're going to go through them in chronological order, so you're going to kind of get a a really rough sketch of the film. So, uh, let's get stuck into it, Billy. What was the first thing that stood out for you? So, I guess it kind of felt uh, different for a a superhero film as we open with a couple of seconds of silence and we get these shots of the the country where uh, Tony Stark will eventually get captured in, which mm. is, as we said before, it's not called Afghanistan. It's never named, but it's very obviously Afghanistan. Yeah. And you've got this sort of convoy of US military vehicles driving uh, through the mountains. Yeah. And, and you kind of linger on this image for a couple of seconds, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, ACDC's back in black starts yeah. playing. <laughs> Just in case people forgot what it sounded like. Yes. Um, 
for me, that kind of felt like a big moment. I, it just sort of set the tone for the film. And I don't know if you feel this way, Billy, but I think maybe more so with those first three Iron Man films, the identity of those films felt very tied to sort of that hard rock, like ACDC sort yeah, of Black Sabbath. Um, I will bring something out. Um, when we talk about Iron Man 2, and I'll show you it. I'm something really hoping it's not your penis. It's not my penis. Phrasing. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> really? You're only just establishing now that I'm an idiot? Yes. Um, um, but no, 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 because I bought the CD for Iron, Iron Man 2. The soundtrack? Yeah. Interesting. That, yes. That's pretty ACDC it. heavy, yeah? Yeah, it is very ACDC heavy. I'll bring it out and show it to you. Except maybe for Iron Man 2, we'll go through the track list. Yes, exactly. The standouts of the track list. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so in this film, we get Back in Black at the beginning, and uh, AC, uh, not ACDCs, um... Black Sabbath's Iron Man at the mm. end. I like how... Like, it starts off... Um, with, you know, the explosion and everything. Yeah. And then does the whole... I like that about some films, where it starts off, like, in the middle of the film, and it does the whole, how do we get here? Yeah. I, think, I like that about some comics as well. I, th- I think it works well. I, like, it's... Yeah, it's definitely a common... Um, like, it's not an uncommon plot structure to use. And mm. I think it works really well here because that explosion is so... Well, I mean, it's such a pivotal moment to the character, right? That mm. explosion is what changes everything in his life tra- trajectory. Okay. So you, you, we sort of meet Tony Stark in those initial sort of scenes when he's in the um, in the armoured vehicle with the US troops. We, we kind of get this quick-fire dialogue and yeah. we get a feel for... He's drinking... Uh, thing of I think like brandy or whiskey as he's having some quick fire dialogue with these troops and I think it really establishes this character yeah. and then we get explosion and we flash back and we get a bit of context to who the hell he is and what he's done exactly um how do you feel like the quick fire banter holds up because for me it was it, a I've, little bit too much I don't know I still like it I still think it's part of like his overall like his character oh, in the sure. Marvel Cinematic Universe for sure, I smart ass. I'm, but I'm smarter than everyone in the room, and I'm going to make jokes. That I'm, man is playing Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I think I reckon as the movies went on, they toned down the quickfire dialogue. A little yeah, bit. I feel like maybe that's the whole thing of him growing as a person. Is he has a less of a need to sort of show how smart he is by being an ass to everyone? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. I also think just as they found the voice for the character as well, they've just sort of been able to distill who he is. Mm. a little bit better rather than needing so much dialogue I think they can do it with less yeah uh, yeah so we get this explosion um, then we get this flashback and we sort of find out the broad strokes of who he is yeah uh, you know that he's a he's a billionaire he develops weapons it's sort of the, I think yeah, the two key like take the, a child prodigy type thing and then you know he inherited everything from his parents who died yeah so I, we get the sense of entitlement to the character yeah which I think I think the idea that he's entitled makes that explosion so such a powerful agent for change in the film because I mean like war and violence doesn't discriminate it doesn't no. care how you know how qualified or how privileged you are um, so I mean the, I think there's something really poignant about seeing him stumble through the wreckage knowing who he is mm. and how well connected he is and knowing that none of this stuff means shit now he's actually in danger and exactly. the troops who are meant to be protecting him are getting gunned down by these insurgents um, so uh, what happens in this opening flashback is we see for the first time Jeff Bridges' character Obadiah yeah, Stane Obadiah Stane what, what do you think of Bridges' betrayal? 
I think it was, it, I think it was a good portrayal of Obadiah. Like, Obadiah in the comics was, uh, I think, late 80s, I think. Um, and okay. he was very almost... It, he was almost... Like, back in the comics, back in then, they always... All the, like, architect business, evil businessmen were all similar. Like, yeah. Obadiah Stane and Justin Hammer, you could literally swap the two of them. Whereas in the films, they're so different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could easily swap the two of them and it's almost the same. Even, like, J. Jonah Jameson, like, in the early days when he was hiring villains and stuff like that to, to, to kill Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. Before he just wanted photos of Spider-Man. Yes. Um, something that stood out to me in that initial... Time we see Obadiah Stane when he's um, accepting a ward for, for Tony because Tony's yeah. out being a playboy um, is the warmth that he brings to the character. You yeah. really just instantly Jeff Bridges is so likable. I just wanted to like him, even though I knew he was a villain. Well, the thing too, I can't remember were the trailers portraying him as the villain. Oh, I was thinking more specifically on this watch because I, uh, I okay yeah, but yeah, I don't think the trailers particularly did. like you don't really know he's the villain until it's obvious though. Right to me, it's like. You Do know, you remember he, watching it the first time? Did you think that? That's a good point. I can't remember. Yeah. But I was like a teenager then, so what the hell did I know? Yeah. Just true. again to hammer in that I'm very young and Billy is very old. Yes, I am ancient. <laughs> I am the Crypt Keeper. I'm just, just going to give you shit. Yes. Um, something else I quickly wanted to point out was... Uh, Do you remember there's a scene when Tony's flying over to this, uh, to this country that is obviously Afghanistan with Rhodey in his private jet... Mm. they get drunk and the next thing we see is them like dancing with the stewardesses who have now stripped down into like sexy stewardess costumes yes do you think anyone in Hollywood actually knows what flight attendants do and thinks that they actually like have a serious job to do yeah no I think that's <laughs> part of the whole like stupid playboy mansion what, like, thing why have why have like all the money yeah, when all... you could have like sexy flight attendants yeah exactly like all the money in the world type thing <laughs> that oh. and it's part of his whole like he does all this. He does all this shit to hide the fact. Like you know, he gets shot and everything, and he gets rid of all that crap. Mm. Yeah, he's sort of it's, it's stripped away. Yeah, but, it just stood out to me as inherently so stupid that the, the uh, sexy flight attendants, yeah, dancing around a pole, which is in his plane for some reason. Ugh. Um, Have you been on a private chat? No, mate. Look, there we go. So who am I to judge? Exactly. So once he uh, so once he lands in Afghanistan, he shows off, of course, a Jericho missile. Yes, um, which is this basically big fuck off missile. And again, we sort of, I think, at that point as well, was shown firsthand what he, he has no real moral compass. Yes, and also what he's capable of as a character. Like in yeah. terms of, we've been told he's a genius, and now we actually get to see it in action. Um, so obviously the. Uh, his vehicle gets exploded. He gets captured yeah. by. A what we yeah. What we learn is the um, the ten rings is the terrorist group, which you know is essentially. So one of the the main one of the villains of in the comic books uh, for Iron Man is the Mandarin, and he's this like essentially in the comics he's this Asian man, sort of like vaguely Oriental in a sort of vaguely Oriental, a like very seventies way, yeah. Hey. When the the Mandarin was first created, it was part of that whole Yellow Terror Would era. Was it Cold thing. War sort of Vietnam, maybe Korean War era? Yeah, and I mean he was yellow, and then in parts and at times he was slightly green esque and everything. And he would have these ten rings, and they, each of these rings would have some sort of like, 
I guess you could say like some sort of superpower, like ice beam, fire beam type mm. thing. Um, whereas in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've slowly like we've found out by you know some tidbits here and there, like in the second and the third film, that the Ten Rings is an actual like organization, and like each like this group that kidnapped Tony Stark is like one cell. So one ring. So there's all there's like ten oh. cells across the world. See, I knew about the ten rings. I didn't realize that they were meant to be. T- that there were ten cells. That's cool. Yeah. I I really I do enjoy how the Marvel Cinematic Universe reinterprets certain things. Like the same way they reinterpreted the Nova Corps as like the policemen in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And another example. I'll probably go into more about the ten rings for um, Iron, Iron Man, Man two and at three. Was it was the ten rings in two? Oh really? All right. I clearly don't remember. Well, um, you you wouldn't notice until the credits. Ah, re- oh, okay, interesting. All right. Um, so look, then we sort of get to the bit where Tony realizes he's been captured by terrorists. Mm-hmm. He's in a cave, and this is kind of when the I guess the stripping down of his character begins. Hey, yeah, and the terrorists know who he is. Yes, and they essentially want him to. They want him to make a version of Jericho. And for so, them. Oh. um. Something that stood out to me in this scene was that initial sort of moment where he realizes he's hooked up to the car battery. Yeah, and he's like, "What the hell happened to me?" It's almost body horror esque. I mean, the music, the yeah. tone, like the way he slowly like looks at his chest and then realizes what's going on. It's frightening. That's pretty. Like that whole thing is pretty cool special effects as well. Like even the later, reactor core. Yeah, even later on when he was changing the old shitty reactor core for a brand newy one. The weird, like, hole in his chest. Yeah. See, to me, that didn't look good. That looked... That was one of the more dated parts of the CGI, I felt. You reckon? I think so. Okay. Um, something I wanted to bring up at this point as well is... can't all be right, Christoph. Is the, incon- is the inconsistent logic in how his heart piece worked. Because Jensen, uh, the, uh, sort of a, a guy who's stuck in the cave with him, who... Yeah. who puts the electromagnet in him and hooks him up to the battery. So yeah, the electromagnet is keeping the stuff from reaching his heart. Yeah, so basically Jensen explains that he's got shrapnel inside him, it's slowly going to move towards his arteries in his heart and kill him. So the purpose of the electromagnet is it attracts that metal. I thought it I thought it, it's sort of like it's almost creates like a like a, I guess you could say a force field around that whole heart area and pushes okay. the I thought it, that's the the whole thing is it like it stops the it stops the shrapnel from travelling further into the heart. Yes. Well, okay. look, regardless of the logic of how yeah. it works, I guess what I got is, like, once your arteries are cut, they're cut, right? Yeah. So what I found weird was in the scene where... Comic book logic. <laughs> later on, whenever his reactor core gets taken out, which happens a couple of times throughout the film, he immediately goes into cardiac arrest, which doesn't yeah. make sense because the shrapnel wouldn't be reaching your artery. And if it did, it would cut the artery, so putting it back in wouldn't fix that. So, it, it that stood out to me. I'm you angry. You are grasping Cle- at straws. Clearly. Uh, clearly just I, to be grumpy. Look, look, Billy, there's not much going on in my life. I need this. Okay. Um. Alright, well, let's get back to the cave, shall we? Yeah. Like, And so they're creating the, the what essentially becomes the his first Iron Man suit. Um, now, n- when he's about to escape from the cave in the Iron Man suit, there's a scene that I thought you'd be a fan of. I know, uh, given that I know you're a big fan of the film, hackers and just general computer, like terribly done computer stuff in films in okay, general. Yeah, is look, that, that is goddamn really... loading bar? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The whole, the <laughs> whole, 
whatever setup he has on the computer. Like running Windows 95? Yeah, I don't know how he made his own version of Windows or whatever, Ugh. operating his own operating system so quickly in a cave. Um, and the fact, what annoys me is, like, surely you could have, pit, like, loaded this beforehand. Yeah. There's n- and there's no explanation on what the hell he's loading into the computer. But all we yeah. know is that we have to wait for this loading bar to hit full before we can access the suit. It's a... It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a MacGuffin, and yeah, it's yeah, it's a me, it's a mechanic piece, so that Jensen leaves the cave, distracts, and then dies. Look, all I'm saying is, if that he had like Windows 10, Jensen probably wouldn't have died. If he had just like a slightly better operating system, whatever. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but oh god, that stood out to me. Um, so look, jumping forward a little bit. It, it, yeah, I think the whole death of Jensen, you know. It needed, made him, yeah, it made him get the moral compass. Of course, I mean, I think that's a good point. Actually, I think in that way, Jensen is his uncle Ben. Yeah, it is. He's, you know, Tony is aware that his weapons have been stolen by terrorist groups like the Ten Rings, but Jensen puts a face to that casualty. Yeah, and the other thing is, for his comic book origins, there is a sort of like Jensen type character. character. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, so look, I, like I knew it had to happen, but God, the freaking uh, the the bar loading was just so. So yeah, fucking yeah, stupid. Yeah. Um, now, when Tony gets back to the real world after he escapes and gets found, the first thing he wants, he asks for, is an American cheeseburger, and we get the sneaky product placement of Burger King. Yes. So that happens. Yeah, but uh, surely, if uh, look for me personally, if I'd been like captured they have by to make terrorists, their money somehow. I I'd go McDonald's quarter pounder. That would be what I'd be craving, not Burger King. Or the Australian equivalent, Hungry Jacks. I'd go KFC. KFC? Yeah. Like fried chicken? Yeah, fried chicken. KFC mm. burger. Again, you can see what like what annoyed me of this film is like the least consequential stuff. Yes. Um, oh, and then, here we go. So soon after that, uh, Tony gives a press conference where he said he's not going to make weapons anymore. Yeah, and then Obadiah, you know, sort of pushes that out. Yeah, uh, and we, I guess at this point... And you get the whole to... sense that, you know... Uh, Obadiah had he, his he own doesn't, he do, Yeah, that, and also, like, Tony doesn't have essential, you know, um, be-all and end-all power. In his company. In his company. I mean, but that's most companies. Like, there is stockholders, major stockholders. And thing. that's a common, that's a super common trope in superhero shows or... Or business stuff. And everything. Like, it, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure it happens in, like, the last Batman film and yep. uh, Iron Fist. I mean, the whole series is about him getting control of his company again. Exactly. So it's a common trope. Um, now, in this scene, uh, we meet Phil Coulson. Yeah. Who, of course, is going to, in this sort of first phase of Marvel films... He's going to be the deal. face of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. What? You know, I can't help but like but like Coulson. I mean, even... I love Coulson. Going... Even in the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series. Do See, not knock right, Coulson. Let's not get into it. Yeah. No, okay, in the films, especially his first couple of films where he's sort of this awkward but pushy guy, I think he's just perfect. Yeah, in S.H.I.E.L.D. he's great too. Absolutely. You're not going to let that go, no, are you? No, I'm not. Um, so we meet Phil Coulson, and yeah, he's going to become a major player in this. He's the one. Movie. He's the guy that links the films. Oh, for, yes, uh, the connective tissue, and like yep. you said, the face of Shield. Um, now, something that uh, that I picked up on uh, was that not all of the humour in this film holds up. 2008 was a different time, uh, and there's one joke in particular where I believe it is with Rhodey that Tony Stark makes a joke to Rhodey, but basically insinuating that he hooked up with someone who looked like a woman, but was in fact a man at spring break. 
Um, and that joke definitely has yeah, it's not it's not very PC. Look, I think in two thousand and eight that was probably okay, but it just oh, it's we have moved on from there. Yes, we now have a quality. Um, we actually do have a quality. That's true. Yeah. That's right. We, I mean, we're oh, maybe like a couple of weeks out from the yeah. yes vote. Yes, exactly. That's nice. Yay. Not even I can be grumpy about that. Um, I'm sure you'd find some way to. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll have to go to more weddings. That sucks. God. <laughs> that'll be fabulous. That's true. I assume more glitter than yours. Mine you. will be if I ever get married. I look forward to it. I will make sure it'll be long so you... Have to. So I have to endure it, and yes, I assume you'll be offended if I if I leave at any point. I won't let you leave, <laughs> just to make sure you endure it. Um, so on a completely unrelated note, uh, yes. let's talk about Rhodey uh, for a bit. Yeah, I like the fact that it's, it's, he's played by um, Kareem. It's not because so Don Cheadle takes over. Don Cheadle takes over, um, but I think he's like I don't think his portrayal in this film was that bad. You know what? I didn't think it was bad. Um, I just thought that it was different to Cheadle's. So, the way that... Um, here we go. Uh, but Terrence Howard. That's who it is. So, the, I feel like Terrence Howard's roadie was definitely a foil and a wet blanket to Tony's Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, to Tony... To Downey Stark. I'm still unsure why they switched him up. To Cheadle? Yeah. You, you know how... So, I feel like Cheadle was more energetic and you feel like Cheadle was on... T- was on the same par. As. Yeah, like their banter is at the same level. He can keep up with the banter of... His roadie can keep up with the banter of Tony Stark. Yeah. Whereas Howard's was sort of like this wet blanket who was sort of pulling him back to reality. And I think mm. it worked well in this film. I think going forward as War Machine, you need, like, I, a, Cheadle's character, a Cheadle's version of roadie made more sense. Whereas yeah. I can't really imagine Terrence Howard's character becoming War Machine. He just didn't... He just seemed too by the book. Yeah. Um... Look, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this before, but something that really stuck out to me was the pacing of this film is really solid. I can't fault it. Yeah, no, it was a really good film. I like John Favreau's directing style. Um, interesting. Uh, so, are you a fan of uh, his other films? Like, yeah. I have you seen Chef? Uh, it's been a long time since okay. I've seen it. Because Chef was his after he did Iron Man three, he did Chef, and I adored Chef. He didn't do Iron Man three. Sorry, he was acting in Iron oh, Man three. Yeah. But a chef was sort of his reflection on doing these, doing these sort of big uh, Disney films, and then ironically, after Chef, he went and did uh, Jungle Book. So I mean, yeah. no, look, I mean, a lot of the stuff that he produces is great content as well. Like he did this, he did this series where it's um, basically five different groups of people, actors, musicians, whatever. Yeah. Um, like they're all at a circular dinner table and eating and just talking about random stuff. It's all these people across various types of pop culture. And I think it went for like two seasons or something. Oh, or wow. Two. It was Impressive. great, yeah. Um, so, bringing it back to, to Iron Man. So, yeah, the pacing was really good. What wasn't amazing was, was some, of the, um, some of the flying, to me, looks a little bit dated. What, what do you think, Billy? Am I being... No, yeah, no, 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 yeah. But I, mean, I, f- I think that's what we've discussed about the whole um, CGI being different... You know about sorry, like it ten. It's like nine years ago. So I mean, the CGI has changed, and also that whole, you know, they didn't have enough money, or not didn't have enough money. But they had budget. less. They had a tight budget, and that's that whole. Um, I think that was the other thing. I um, back in the day, 
there was someone from Marvel. I think it's his name's Ike. Yes, Ike Pamolta. Pamolta. Um, he's like one of the higher ups at Marvel, he... and he's renowned for like trying to cut, like not spend as much as possible. Interesting. And from what I can gather, I think he was very like tight with all the money for this, and I mean, but it's, they were, they didn't want to risk too much money. They just got Iron Man back as you know a property, and I think they wanted to like test the waters. I feel like if mm. they had given if Iron Man had the amount of money that all the other films have now, probably some of the CGI and stuff would have been better. Okay. Look, yeah, that's a good point. That said, I think a lot of the fight stuff, such as the scene where he goes to, uh, is it Gilmera or Galmera? That's that sort of refugee. Gilmera. Gilmera, yeah. yeah. That held up pretty well. Yeah, no, it And did. it's him standing around in a suit around real people. Shooting people and stuff. I liked it. Um, a pickup that I wanted to mention, uh, bringing, harking back to sort of some of the comic stuff, is there's a scene right after he blows up a tank, he walks away. And, and it just blows up behind him. Yeah, which is like universally cool in films but yeah. also um, the way that the light hits the Iron Man armour and the way that you can see the rivets in his arms it looks exactly like that sort of original Iron Man design from the comics and I thought that was like yeah. a really nice homage and a reminder that although the suit is a lot sleeker than what we've seen on the page it's you know it's very much inspired by it yeah exactly um, look we're quickly running out of time so I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of head towards the end with some of my pickups uh the, I think the biggest thing for me about this film is that scene at the end where he has that press conference and basically the whole... They see this idea that he, he's going to lie at this press conference and deny being Iron Man. Yeah. And in any other superhero film, that's what you'd expect to happen. Yeah. Because if we look at the big superhero films up until this point, Spider-Man and Batman in particular, secret identities were like su- such a big fucking deal of the movies. Yeah, and I mean, at various times he's said, yes, I am Iron Man. Other times he said, no, it's my bodyguard type thing. And they mentioned During that. During the film, yeah. Yeah, and then in the comics as well. Like, I mean, um, at various times it was Rhodey being Iron Man. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, but I like... In Whenever this... he wanted to show that, no, Iron Man's just my bodyguard. I, I really liked in this film that they, they yeah, really make you want to believe that he's going to say no, and then right at the end of the film he's pretty yeah. much like, fuck it, I am Iron Man, and the film ends. And yeah. To me, that ending is still perfect. Yeah, no, it's a great ending. And then it's like, the music starts. And then we get Black Sabbath's Iron Man. Something I wanted to, I guess, talk to you about quickly, was it to me that was sort of the, that I am Iron Man statement was, uh, felt like the thesis of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, apart from Spider-Man Homecoming, I can't think of any other Marvel Cinematic Universe film where secret identity is an issue. It doesn't really come up. No, it doesn't. Like, I mean, Thor is Thor. Mm. Cap is Cap. I mean, Especially, I don't think many people. Yeah, no, I think uh, no, I think people know it's Steve Rogers. Um, well, he was like a big deal back. Well, Ant Man, as well. That's, that's a true. Secret. But even so, it's not a, a big part of the plot. Him no. hiding his identity, like it wasn't that first Spider Man film. Yeah. So I guess it's like what you're saying about sort of the more down to earth and grounded. I think in this day and age, people would find out who the superhero is anyway. So who cares? Yeah. Like if you have the Iron Man suit. Probably get like you can probably defend yourself. Who cares if people know who you are? Oh, uh, I don't know. I would still wouldn't. I still you'd, you'd keep a cigarette in me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> See, I not I, for my loved ones though. 
See, I just liked it. I just like that sort of defiance of him just, yeah, just coming out, I'm Iron Man, and then they end it, and it's just... I, yeah, that, that still holds up perfectly to me. Excellent. So, are we going to talk uh, Stan Watch? Yes, yeah, so... What did you, did you think of this cameo? It's the first of... You know what? It started off so innocently. I don't even think he these Stanley cameos. I don't even think he said anything in this. Basically, Tony Stark sees him on the red carpet, says, looking good, Hef, yeah. turns around Stanley. That's yeah. it. And it's one of the... It's one of the sort of... I don't know. This, no, this wasn't the first... Cameo? No, it was like Spider-Man or X-Men was the first Quite one. likely. Yeah. But I guess I liked... I, I liked that it was, it was simple. Later on, especially in Thor Ragnarok, he actually pay, like plays a minor part in the plot because he yeah. cut Thor's hair. And I just... It's too much. I didn't mind that. Anyway, we'll get to that when we talk about Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, but no, look, I thought this cameo was like the perfect <clears throat> Stanley cameo. It, I think it made fun of the fact that most people outside of comics probably wouldn't know who Stanley was at that point. Yeah. That, I, that would have been, I'm pretty sure, before all these big bang appearances and cameos, you know, threw him into the stardom. Um, I did like that some of the influences from the movie have now carried over to the comics. So, like, the look of the Tony Stark. Yeah. yeah, and the look of Tony Stark changed. So, I mean, but that happens with a lot. Like, even recently with the Punisher TV series, Netflix. I they've actually... made the comic book look more like the actor. I w- yeah, I was looking at some pages of Matt Rosenberg's run. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, but... It's but it, it 100% looks like uh, like John Berth now, for yeah. sure. Like it's... So, yeah, I mean, the, there's that. And I think also the, the Iron Man... I mean, the, with every run, the Iron Man armour changes. Like, with every writer and artist run, of there's course. a take on it. I think, yeah, as soon as the movie came out, there was a new version of the armor on the comics as well. Mm. Well, I mean, Matt Fraction with, took over now. I'm not sure if it was before or after, but I'm pretty sure at the point he was on the helm of the movie, it, they were aware of the movie, and that definitely has fed a lot into mm. his run. And his Tony Stark looks a lot like Robert Downey Jr., yeah. as does the armor also looks a lot like um, the, the film armor. Now, in regards to importance, this is a in- pretty important aspect for the MCU because it's, oh, it's like the, the start it's not at all right yeah and also it started the first after end credit yes with with Samuel L. Jackson uh, appearing in Tony's mansion and basically just being like Avengers oh, might happen yeah you think you're the only hero in the <laughs> <Yeah>. world <laughs> that's my bad Samuel his performance was pretty shit I reckon like it was oh, only a line I... it's him as sharp it's mm. Samuel L. Jackson it just wasn't it just felt so static to me like, they ju- like, he just came in, they put an eye patch on him, and they said, just say this. And he's like, oh, all right. Like, to me, he hadn't become Nick Fury yet, like he yeah. does in some of the later films. But that was the whole start of the wait until the end of the credits. Of course, which is, like, expected now. I mean, yeah. DC's had to follow suit, and it almost, for mm-hmm. me, feels weird to not stay till the end of a film. Yeah. Exactly. Um, look, we're, we're quickly running out of time. We're trying to keep this under an hour. I don't know if we've succeeded or not, but... Yeah, it's okay. Why don't we? Why don't we wrap it up? Overall, Billy, coming in on this on this uh, most recent viewing, how are you feeling about Iron Man? I'm enjoying it. Still, my it's still one three two at the moment. Iron Man one, yeah. In terms of order for the Iron Man's, I don't know. What about you? Look, it's yeah. In in my memory, I think it was better. That said, still a solid film. I, I can't. When it comes to like the writing and the overall sort of just how well this. This film was made. You can't fold it. It's, no, you it's can't. solid. So, are we going to be talking our top three? Yes. Yeah. So, at the near the end of every episode, 
we're going to be doing our top three Marvel films, and each week we're going to check in with each other to see if they change as we go in for a rewatch, if the things drop off or new things come on. And then we're also going to give our bottom of the par, which is what we think is our worst Marvel film. So do you want to, do you want to go first, Billy? Give me your top three. Uh, um, in three, two, and then one. Okay. Um, I can't... Um, I'm trying to think now. Um, okay, Cap Civil War. As as number three. Oh no no. Okay. Um. So, all right. Uh. Avengers. The first Avengers. Yep. Yeah. Cap Civil War. Yep. No no. Um. Sorry. Avengers. Um. Thor Ragnarok. Then Cap Civil War. Okay. And my lowest is Incredible Hulk. Yeah, Which is our next episode. Yeah, oh, not looking forward to that one. Um, okay, look, mine are coming at number three yep. is Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Coming at number two is Iron Man 2. Yeah. I know a lot of people didn't like that film, but I did. And coming at number one is Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm, you know, for me, that's hands down the best film. So each week, yeah, we're going to check in with one? each other and see if these change. My, okay, my bottom one is... Look, it's, it's tough. It's between Incredible Hulk and Thor The Dark World. I mean, they're both equally forgettable films. What, what about you? Is it is it Incredible Hulk? It's still Incredible yeah, Hulk. It's, it's just such a forgettable... Look, maybe when, I, maybe when we watch it again, it'll be better. But I remember just feeling very meh about it. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it was good, but I think it, was, it's, it still had that Ed Norton factor. Yeah, I, I still can't get over the fact that he just got swapped out for Ruffalo. Like it, but I think it was because Ed Norton wanted to take more control, as he does with uh, a lot of things. Well, then why get Ed Norton? Just get... You know what? I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. Um, we'll get into it next episode. <laughs> Alright, look. But So, before we go, what we want to do is leave you with some recommendations of, if you enjoyed the Iron Man film, some comics uh, yes. that you might like to read. In a segment called, If You Liked This, Read This. Um... Now, do you want to jump in first with your recommendations, or would you like me to? Uh, you go first. Well, look, every Iron Man film this is going to come up, but the uh, Matt Fraction run on Invincible Iron Man is, to be honest, one of the only Iron Man runs I've read, but it just, I remember at the time reading it, just loving it. He absolutely nailed the character, uh, yet there was still sort of enough Matt Fractionisms in some of the, the dialogue and the, the humour and the way it was handled. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first arc of Matt Fraction's run in particular, mm. I would recommend. So that's when he's up against Obadiah Stane's son. Yeah. And much like in the film, he sort of begins to lose everything as Obadiah, Stan, Obadiah Stane's son turns his own technology against him. So again, it's interesting how Fraction was able to sort of use a lot of the same themes that were a big hook of the movie and reinterpret them in a different story that still felt sort of, still had some connective tissue to the film. And then the other uh, book I would like to recommend is not a Marvel book at all. It is Sheriff of Babylon from Vertigo. Okay. So that is um, written by Tom King, who's writing Batman at the moment, with art by Mitch Gerards. And that follows a uh, American cop who basically is in in Iraq after the fall of Saddam. And his job is to train the new police force. And he gets caught up in a murder mystery. And if you sort of enjoyed the uh, the sort of the post-9-11 commentary and the um, 
the bits in sort of the Middle East of Iron Man 1, I think you'll get a real kick out of this comic. And it's just it's just a damn good comic. Okay. Uh, well, for Iron Man, I would recommend... I mean, I'm probably going to be recommending more as we do the next films. Uh, but I definitely want to recommend The Iron Age, which is from Kurt Busiek. Okay, I've heard good things about it, right? Yeah, it's essentially like Iron Man Year One. And it's... Um, so is that about him building the armor and becoming? Well, yeah, it it's like literally, uh, yeah, it's literally re uh, reexamines the original origin, and um, sort of updates it for mod- modern time. Does um, it have a Middle East setting like this? Like I can't remember, um, but it's it's a really really good written comic and art is pretty great as well. Okay, can you remember the artist? I believe Kurt Busiek did it as well. The art. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in regards to the uh, the Fraction comic I mentioned earlier, Salvador Adela Roca, I believe, was the artist on that. And he's most recently was doing the art on Darth Vader with Karen Gillan. Yes. Um, the other comic I wouldn't mind recommending, also just because it's a U1 aspect, uh, Batman Year One. Oh, because that sort of like gritty origin sort of thing going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, yeah. If you haven't read Batman Year One, get on it. It's, yeah. It's, it's like really good stuff, comics canon, really. Um, so I guess that's been us. Yeah, well, look, we hope you enjoyed this our, first episode. Yeah, our first episode. Of To Infinity War and Beyond. Um, if you have any feedback, please give us an email at either billy at geekofoz.com.au or christoph at geekofoz.com. Sorry, is it .com? Yes. It helps if I know I email billy at geekofoz.com and christoph at geekofoz.com if you want and, to give us some feedback on the show. And you can also get us on Facebook at Geek of Oz. Yes, or the website, geekofoz.com. And we're also on Twitter, Geek of Oz. Yeah, and look, if we would love it if you could subscribe to us on iTunes if you dig in what we're doing. And if you could give us a review, that would really help other uh, new listeners find us as well. Well, thank you so much. Until next time. See ya.